New game day shirt? Boom. Cash back. Food for the tailgate? Boom. Cash back. Even buying a round can earn you cash back when you use your debit card. And yes, I said debit card. With Discover Cashback Debit, everyone can earn cash back on everyday purchases. Look, in sports, it's hard to predict who is taking the win, but you know what's guaranteed to win? Discover Cashback Debit. Oh, and did I mention there are no fees, period? I'm telling you, this one, it's a real game changer. Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. Everybody to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Taylor Rockwell. On today's episode, we're doing some MLS-centric, very specific predictions. To do so, I'm joined by two lovely friends. Up first, Joe, my predictions will feature analytics. Lowry, hi, Joe. I think that's true. I made most of my predictions yesterday and honestly don't remember all of them right off the top. But generally speaking, that is a safe bet, Taylor Rockwell. Have you forgotten them because they were just like so solid that you don't have to think about them anymore? Or have you forgotten them because you weren't fully confident and now you get to find out if you actually like them? Uh, yes. Yeah, <laughs> mostly the second All one. Right. We'll see. I mean, okay. So you and I talked about this before. Maybe this is a, a discussion for later on in the show. But just for listeners, this is hard. Like yeah. this, this, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's what people want to hear is me complaining about how hard my job is at the very first minute of a podcast. This was a hard exercise of going through and doing the VSPs midseason. I believe this is the first time that we've tried to do this. It is. But certainly the first time I've tried to do this. And I uh, I had a harder time with it than I thought we can dive into them later. Yes, I, I would echo that sentiment. I don't know if uh, our other co-host, Will, with us today is David. I don't know if my predictions are any good, Goss. That's an actual quote from him from, from before we started recording. David, how you feeling, buddy? I just have no juice for the things that I chose. <laughs> really? So you're already doubting? You're already doubting? It's just like, Why? Why is that the thing I chose? And now they're written down, so I feel worse about them. Because when you see them in writing, you're like, that is the dumbest thing a person's ever put down in written word. Soon to be laminated, I'm sure. And if it helps at all, whatever you have predicted, I guarantee you they are not the dumbest predictions that anyone on this show has ever made. Because specific predicting is really, really difficult. I often talk myself into things like... That I probably shouldn't, and then I end up advocating for people to be like golden boot winners that are never, ever going to be. Along the way, I sometimes get them right. But that is part of the fun is sort of testing what we know or what we think we know about the different teams well, in the league. And and this is the cop-out. Like, this is the something that the person who doesn't think their VSPs are right would say. But I will say... It seems to me that the purpose of very specific predictions is less to be right, although there is an element of that, and more to be close to right. Like, I've always thought the idea of VSPs, which we've almost always used in, like, a preview capacity, are just to give people things to watch for. It's to try to distill big storylines or ideas into something more digestible, right? And and hopefully we, we've done that with our predictions. I think I've gotten close with mine, but, like, you don't, you don't really have to be right, I feel like, to have accomplished the goal, right? As a listener, Taylor, when I used to listen to you and Daryl do VSPs, 
Like, I, I didn't really care if you were right. And we do actually now have folks in the Discord that, yeah. that all of us here on the show are now in that track it. And that's great fun. We had a ton of fun in the World Cup doing that. And I think Graham was the champion. Taylor, were you the – I don't know who the champion was. Uh, he's not here, so let's just say it was one of us. It was <laughs> right. Goss. It was, Goss was the champion. Yeah, Goss was the, the World Cup VSP champion. And so now there is, like, a competitive side to it. But at the same time, like, if mm-hmm. we can give listeners and folks that maybe aren't all the way in the MLS world, or even folks that are and, and want things to pay attention to, like, if we can accomplish that goal – I care a little bit less about yeah. being right. That said, I will win, and I will I will beat both of you. <laughs> I will say, now that the letter from Chris Klein last week came out, we have the least on the line of anyone who's made a very specific <laughs> prediction over the last week. For us, it's about potentially winning something in a Discord chat. For Chris Klein, his job relies on it. So... I guess in that context, I feel a little bit better. I appreciate that setup because I will say right now, uh, if 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 anyone thinks that passes for a very specific prediction, w- that would ha- that would require further exploration to get to an actual specific uh, prediction. Because Chris Klein's was what vaguely we have made progress and we might qualify for the playoffs. Correct. Uh, I think he said uh, if we don't win else. a playoff game, I'm out. Oof. I mean, they're but going he to, did though. leave himself some space. I think. Yeah, and uh, I think it's on the TSS bingo card. What's the percentage of teams? Sixty-two percent. Sixty-two percent. Ding, ding, so. ding, ding, ding. Yeah, <laughs> yes, it's yes, uh, it's so. not a, it's not the highest of bars, especially really now. Not. If you if you're eight or nine in the West, which is a real possibility for the Galaxy, you've got to win one game. And I don't know if we're actually counting that as a playoff win or not. Something tells me that Chris Klein would count it as a playoff win. But then you just have to like win one game in a best of three series after He's that. So hundred percent counting that as like, a playoff. Win, I don't by even. I don't think. I don't think the bar honestly could have been set any lower for the LA Galaxy. I guess it could have and just say make the playoffs, but yeah, that letter did not leave anyone, I think, feeling really thrilled about the ambition of this club. I'll say this. It has me feeling thrilled that he has set the bar so low for predictions that now really anything we say that is backed up by numbers or observed opinion is going to sound all the better. So I look forward you, to getting you, to those uh, here in a little bit. First, we should talk a little more about the weekend that was. Uh, we talked about El Trafico in, in some level of detail yesterday. Didn't spend as much time on Portland, Seattle. Joe, I know you ran us through... Uh, some of your thoughts there, Goss. What did you make of Portland's resounding win? Soccer can be a weird sport sometimes. Correct. For some, yeah, for some teams, they want to dominate games and make it exactly how they want it to be, and that's the only way they're comfortable. For other teams, they're almost more comfortable with more resistance. And Portland, I think, is one of those teams where they don't have a clear idea of who they are. Their pieces don't fit together perfectly. And so when they go and play a good Seattle team in a big game where it's just about winning the fine margins and winning 50-50s and not an overarching theme of like, where do we want to possess? How do we want to counter? What do we want to do? Uh, It seems like the game's easier for Portland. Now, it swings on a moment of brilliance. I don't think the game plan was. A cross swerving away from goal on the far post that's unfinishable unless it's a perfect bike kick with a guy's head next to your foot, which Dyer and Espria scores. Uh, but I would say I thought Portland was more cohesive throughout this game. I thought their lines were cleaner. So there was less space over the top and there was less space between their lines to play at them, which I thought that Jordan Morris would feast in this game because Portland have been sort of a mess with their structure over the course of this season. So I think even if Aspria doesn't score that goal, I think they probably get a result at least, but I for sure would have walked away from the game thinking they were better in this performance. And so 
This is sort of the conversation coming into it, which was Portland have now won four straight against Seattle head to head. It was almost the perfect time for this game to sort of wake the team up. Yeah, I I do think Seattle were probably the better team for the first 70 minutes of this game. But the difference between Seattle and Portland was far narrower than I thought it was going to be coming into this weekend. Seattle, I said this on yesterday's show, they were favored in this game. They're favored by the, the bookmakers. They're favored by like the odds maker. They're, they're favored by everybody coming into this game. Portland have been injured and bad this season, really, so far. They've been one of the worst teams in the league. But the benefit for Portland, and I think what, what helped them close the gap and eventually get a result in this game, is they actually had a capable 11 out on the field. Like This was maybe the first time all season long that we've seen something approaching a first-choice group from Gio Savarese. Now, that group doesn't include Eric Williamson, who will miss the entire season with a knee injury, which is absolutely brutal. I believe it's the opposite knee that he hurt back in in 2021. I think that would have been the summer of 2021. That's an incredibly tough turn for Portland, and it does lower their ceiling. But, you know, it it, at the same time allows Evander, who to my eye has looked like just a Brazilian version of Eric Williamson, so far this season, it does allow Evander to do more of what he likes to do. And he's still working his way back to 90-minute fitness. But, you know, you have him dropping in a little bit and being able to progress. You have Portland actually playing some first-choice members across the back line. You have Diego Chara and, and David Ayala is back in midfield. I don't know if he's a good player or not, but he's 20 years old. And so there's lots of time for him to improve. Like, this felt to me like an actual 11 that you go out there and try to win a Major League Soccer game with. And Portland did that. And they got the result. I don't think that they're a better team than Seattle. I think Seattle is still one of the two best teams in the Western Conference. But all things considered, Portland should improve from where they sat in the table before this weekend. Now they're in ninth after this weekend. I wouldn't be shocked if they climbed a little bit more as the year progresses. Uh, question for either of you, whoever wants to take it. Uh, Joe, you mentioned Evander there looking like a Brazilian Eric Williamson. Uh, I saw in Doyle's write-up of the weekend, he mentioned uh, Portland scoring all their goals with Evander off the pitch, and it felt like a little bit of a, like, make of that what you will sort of statement. Was that Doyle just throwing out facts, or was that him, do you think, alluding to larger issues with Evander playing for Portland? Sorry, you're asking me to delve into the brain of Matt Doyle? Is yeah, that what's I mean, sit in a very high chair if you yeah. could. Basically, do you all have any concerns about Evander, or do you feel like he is fitting in just fine so far? Just fine. I wouldn't say just fine. He would like to have goals and assists. He would like to be involved with some of the better play. He also has been injured, so he would like for that not to have happened. Um, There was a conversation coming in this year, so I sat with him before the season started, and he said, yeah, I was an 8 most of the time in Denmark. I am a 10. It's just where they played me. It worked best for the team, but that's not where I see myself. And so, obviously, coming into the season, Eric Williamson's the 8. On the Portland Timbers, you have Chara as the six. So it felt pretty clear that the role they brought him in for was to be the 10. And I think he struggled in that role to start the year. But I I think a part of that to what Joe just said is the team struggled. So it's tough to be a pure creator when you don't have goal scorers around you. It's tough to be a pure creator when no one else is beating their man 1v1. And the total responsibility falls on your shoulders. And it's tough to do all that in a country you've never lived in before, in a league you've never played in before. So I'm of the opinion, being a Goss theorem inventor, that you have to give time for a player like that to develop, to get comfortable. But the big question mark around him is, is the reason they played him as an eight in Denmark because he needs to see more of the field and his best skill set is his deeper passing? Or is it because that was just the way, I believe it was Bronby, 
um, was set up and it was what his role was in that team, but he is capable of doing the things that Portland brought him in for. Now you lose Eric Williamson. There might be more space for him to be that guy for them. And so for him, it might work out in the end, um, but it didn't feel like that three pairing was working. And then obviously in this game, you score once he comes off. I think part of that is game states and less so purely his involvement. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's not a Vander's fault that Dyron Aspria pulled out the a ridiculous bicycle kick when he has come off the field. So uh, that's the first part. Uh, let's play Scandinavian Club Bingo. It was Midgeland as well. I know. So just, just I knew to get it the all moment I said there. it. Um, I, I think Evander was a mistake as a signing, although it's a little too early for me to feel like super confident about that. They spent, what, $10 million on him, the most expensive player in club history, and Transfer fees are not everything, as I will discuss later in some level of detail in my VSPs. And it's kind of silly to reduce it down to that, especially when, you know, DP is a DP. And if they want to spend a bunch of money to sign him, like he's going to count the same on the salary cap. And that is A-OK. But he very much does look like an 8 to me, not a 10. He doesn't look like a chance creator. He looks like a ball progressor. And I don't believe that it's worth putting a DP tag for the most part on that kind of player. So... I have real reservations about Evander, but it is too early. Like, Goss, you said it. He should get time. He's a good player. Like, he can clearly do a lot of good things. Otherwise, you know, he's not playing for Midland in the Europa League. But, you know, there's a, a stat that gets cited very frequently about Evander. Is he, he, at one point in time, was leading the Europa League in assists, which I just put no stock in that whatsoever. Like, that feels like a complete, you know, sort of throwing a dart at a dartboard to pick out something and... and I don't know. I, I'm just not there on Evander yet, but I think he can be a part of a functional Portland Timbers team. And hopefully for Timbers fans, he can be a very good part of a functional Timbers team. So there's it, it. there's a weird conversation with the Timbers because some parts of them have been so consistent for like 12 years, mainly Diego Chara. But Diego Valeri wasn't a pure chance creator as a 10. And he was not a move the chess pieces around until you hit the blind ball that no one else can see guy. He was attack in transition, create chances for himself, put defenders on their heels, and then make the right pass if that's what's there for you. And I do think in what I saw from Evander, and this is all really like highlight stuff and scouting stuff, not full games, in the nether or in Denmark, God, another European thing that I have to think of. Um, that's where he was really good. Like a lot of his chance creation, a lot of his goals came off layoffs where he's attacking defenders in at pace and in space. And that hadn't really been the case for Portland, but that is the Timbers at their best under Gio Savarese is a sit and counter team. So can he be that second forward or that 10 in a scenario like that? And then it works out for them because they showed they could win at a really high level with a player like that with Valeri for years. Um, but we may not even see it if, the reality is Jimmy Chara gets healthy. Santi Moreno is a must play for them. If Aspria scoring goals, now you're in a space where you probably don't start Ayala. You probably start Evander next to Chara, and then you have that attacking three in front of him. Gus, do you feel like we've learned anything about how to beat Seattle or Seattle's vulnerabilities, or is this just uh, an example of be a local rival and then form goes out the window, to use that old cliche? There's definitely an element of the second part. I mean, Seattle, to their credit, have covered pretty well the fact that they have a ton of injuries. Like, they did not have depth in this game. And so they bring Eber off the bench to play two forwards. But I think that was less tactical and more 
Eber was the best player on the bench. Uh, they didn't have Rusnak in this game. Uh, they've had other big injuries throughout the midfield. Rui Diaz had been out. He finally comes back. Christian Roldan was not available for this game, which is your big like flexibility piece who can play anywhere and obviously one of the best players on your team. So I think this was a tough moment for Seattle. I have said this a couple times. I think Seattle is one of the deepest teams in Major League Soccer. I don't think they have game-changing subs. So I think they're capable of covering for injuries in their starting lineup better than anyone in MLS. But when they are down two goals or down a goal or even up a goal and they want to change the pace of the way the game is being played, most of their changes are like for like. And so I think you see the momentum go against them and there's really no ability for Brian Schmetzer to then change things up once it goes two or three one against them. Who does have the most game-changing substitution options, do you think, in the league? <sighs> the most in the league. Now you have me trying to think about every team. It's LAFC is the answer. Yeah, yeah. I would. I mean, like, they, they brought on uh, Stipe Buk and, uh, shoot, last name of a Polish-sounding last name, Bogut. I, you got I, it, Joe. I don't Come know. On. His first name starts with an M and his last name starts with a B. Bogus? Something like that? It can't be Bogus. Yeah, Bogus, I okay, think. Bogus. That feels much more right. But he played on the wing. I know, but I'm just not saying. Right. Obviously. Of course, Taylor. Thank you for yeah. for you. You don't you don't want to say the pronunciation wrong, right? You're you're uh, no, of course yeah. you're too meticulous about that kind of thing. Derek Ray over here on the podcast. Um, <laughs> I, LAFC have the most depth and talent, and they they don't even have a nine yet. Like LAFC are, I think, for me, pretty far and ahead in that particular category. I would. So Orlando's up there. Duncan McGuire's been really good for them. Off the bench, they have other you did, wide You did attacking. not just follow up an LAFC have Stipe <laughs> Buke, who's looked incredible, a former Leeds United young player, with Orlando and the phrase Duncan... I, sorry, you can continue, Gus. This funny. is Major League Soccer, baby. This is culture. Also, what have you seen from Orlando that makes you think that any of their players are game changers? Get him, Joe. Well, that's, Get him. that's the key in this conversation, is if you want to go to the specifics... Pick teams that have bad starters, and they hey. say they have good game-changing subs. There it is. There it is. <laughs> so that's the focus in a conversation like this. Wow. Uh, and so, yeah, that's how they get on the that's list. Good that's good work. Red that's Bulls, good work. Red Bulls, game-changing subs. Their subs always come off the bench and score. Their starters do not. Right. But their subs always come off the bench and score. Right. It's because all, all 18 outfield Red Bulls players are like the exact same player. And so all the midfielders are the same, all the forwards are the same. And so it's just like, yeah, we'll just put on this guy against a tired defense and that uh it's a good strat. It's a good strat. But they would should crush work. Should work. any college intramural league. They would. Hundred <laughs> percent. They would just dominate. Hundred percent. Next platoon. Next platoon. Unreal. Uh we're gonna take a quick break. Uh I appreciate the platoon approach to substitutions. We will be back soon to talk a little more MLS. New game day shirt, boom, cash back. Food for the tailgate, boom cash back. Even buying a round can earn you cash back when you use your debit card. And yes, I said debit card. With Discover Cashback Debit, everyone can earn cash back on everyday purchases. Look, in sports, it's hard to predict who is taking the win, but you know what's guaranteed to win? Discover Cashback Debit. Oh, and did I mention there are no fees, period? I'm telling you, this one it's a real game changer. Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashback debit. Discover Bank, 
Member FDIC. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms or restrictions apply. Welcome back. We're talking about teams that have been very good, but then had an off weekend. Joe, you've been pretty hyped about FC Cincinnati. You've had them in your sort of consistently in that best of the East or thereabouts conversation. How are you feeling these days? Yeah, not as good after a 5-1 loss to St. Louis, but less because of the scoreline. And credit to St. Louis for that. I've got more on you and a VSP later, and I hope it'll make people happy down in that part uh, part of the world. But for Cincinnati, I do think their lack of depth was exposed in this game in a real way. Lucio Acosta was out with an injury. Brenner was out uh, with what had been labeled as a back injury in the week and <laughs> was a very much a Neymar from, back injury. Um, from carrying $10.8 million on, on your shoulders. Absolutely. Too. <laughs> Absolutely. So Brenner, for folks that don't know, it seems like, according to reports, Tom Bogert had this. Is, is, he's got almost everything. Credit to Tom on uh, apparently Udinese are very interested in Brenner. And that's happening this summer, basically, is the nuts and bolts of it. So Brenner was out while that was being negotiated. Joe, can I pause you Please. really quickly to say, because this is one of my favorite things. May, people may know it, but uh, for those who don't, the back injury when it comes to soccer is one of the most mythical things in that it certainly can exist. You can definitely have a back uh, but I think it was Diego <laughs> most Costa. Do, uh, most do, yeah. <laughs> most do. Most like oftentimes people have backs. Uh, but it was like Diego Costa was the best example. No, it was, it was uh, Dimitri Payet uh, when he was playing for West Ham would routinely have back issues just before he forced a, a transfer back to Lyon. Uh, and as far as I understand, it's because the back has so many things going on that there can be so many things wrong with it that it's difficult to actually get to the bottom of it. So if you say my ankle hurts. A trainer is going to look at your ankle, go through it, and be like, mm, it seems okay to me. But with a back, there can be so many things that it's basically the easiest way for a player to say, ah, my back's hurt and I can't play. The trainer might be able to find something, oftentimes can't, but that doesn't mean there isn't anything, so they won't take that risk. So when you hear back injury, sometimes it is a legitimate thing, and sometimes it is, I don't feel like playing, I got other stuff to do. And in this case, I guess it's uh, transferring to Italy. Also, for... Not to old man this too much, but like whose back doesn't hurt when you get yeah. up? You know what that's I mean? Real. So you're not even lying. <laughs> <laughs> not to that's, old. Oh, that's so good. That is so I good. I got aches and pains, baby. <laughs> uh, uh, all right. So I'll, I'll steer us yes. back. That was a very interesting nugget, Please. Taylor. I actually, I didn't even know all the extent of, of that. So anyway, we didn't see Brenner in this game. We didn't see Lucho Acosta in this game. Instead, we got the best name in MLS outside of Jaw Klaus in this game, which is Archimedes Ordonez, 19-year-old striker. For FC Cincinnati, he's played some in MLS Next Pro. He's a good young player, but is a far cry from Brenner. And we saw a front three in this game of Brandon Vasquez, Sergio Santos, and Ordonez. So that's a big difference from that front three to Brenner, Lucho Acosta, and Brandon Vasquez. And I think Cincinnati's lack of attacking ability without especially Lucho Acosta in midfield, but really without two of their three primary starters up front, was very much exposed in this game. They were... They created some chances, but, you know, they were down from the third minute of this game. They ended up being down 5-0 and never truly looked threatening to get back into this game. Now, nobody's going to get back into a 5-0 game. That doesn't happen. But, you know, at 1-0 or 2-0 down, they didn't look exceedingly dangerous in the attack. 
And that, for me, is a problem. Credit to St. Louis for applying the pressure, taking advantage of some mistakes. I mentioned the last goal being one that bounces off Celentano and into the back of the net, which is always hilarious. Like, St. Louis played a good game, and they asserted themselves from very early on after a lengthy delay. But to me, this game told us a bit more about Cincinnati in some of the concerns that could come their way if they can't identify the right players and some of the concerns that could come their way if Lucho Acosta is starting to become a more injury-prone player. He has missed multiple games this year, and the season is young. Like, I think there are probably more reasons to be concerned about Cincinnati that I hadn't factored in maybe a week or two ago. I don't love that for reasons we'll get to later. Uh, Gossip, <laughs> Still good. You had Still good, Taylor. Don't worry. Right Still good. Now. Still good. Uh, Bradley Carnell or Pat Noonan as MLS Coach of the Year uh, right now with what they both done? Oh, cool. uh, my guess would be Carnell Has because be. I think be. yeah, Carnell will have the storyline behind him. And with MLS voting... For the most part, you don't actually have to be good the whole year. You just have to be good at a point when people are paying attention and then you stay in the conversation. So Bradley Carnell was good at the beginning, which is when like 90% of people pay attention. And if he's okay at the end, a.k.a. St. Louis makes the playoffs at this point, which seems pretty likely, he should be the winner. And it will be well-deserved too. Like this is a team that didn't have a ton of expectations. They've played well. I think... You look at this game, it was a two-plus-hour weather delay. Their fans stayed. It was a pretty good atmosphere. But as Joe said, I, I thought Cincinnati was fine. Like, I didn't think St. Louis outplayed them. But St. Louis came out in a way in which they took advantage of the big moments. Like, they were locked in and sharp even after the delay. And once that happened, it killed the spirit for FC Cincinnati. And that's not a guarantee. Like, we have seen... FC Dallas and Houston have a zillion nine-hour weather delay home games where they just come out flat and everyone's just playing for 90 minutes to try and go back to the hotel because no one wants to be there. That hasn't been St. Louis. It hasn't been the case. They've had rotation. They've had injuries, like a ton of stuff on top of the fact that they're an expansion team that's trying to play a specific style. So it would be well-deserved, and I think think Red Bull fans would be stoked about it for Red Bull (laughs) Carnell. As as stoked as say Portland fans would be if Jeremy Ibobasi wins like uh, the MLS Golden Boot or or scores a bunch of goals, do you think they'll be equally thrilled? I think so. Yeah, <laughs> I think you'd have a pretty good party convention going there. <laughs> uh, any other games uh, we want to discuss? Any other moments you all feel like are worth? Uh, D- debating out, talking out before we get to some specific predictions. I've got some, but they're going to be intertwined into my VSPs. Right. So I, I want to keep my powder dry as, a, as, as at least as dry as possible. Uh, All right. Well, I, I would just ahead, throw out. I thought um, Atlanta was pretty good without Tiago Almada in Toronto, um, and I think that's a positive moment for them. Also, no Brad Guzan. I thought that was a positive step for them, and. We'll talk about Atlanta, I think, a lot more coming up this season, so we don't need to shove them in. But I thought some of the pieces that have to step up outside of Almada did and played well. Um, and I went to the Montreal-DC United game in Montreal for fun as a fan. Neither was it fun or did I feel like much of a fan throughout <laughs> the game. But Montreal's a great city. Uh and that one, that like I have some VSPs. That feels like self-punishment to me. Wrapped into that one. Yeah, I was like, oh, they're home. They're there. I, I got to go. What were you expecting? And what was the reality? There is, There has been <laughs> a good history of random Montreal games ending with like three stoppage time goals both ways. And like the bells ringing the whole time. There's smoke coming up. So my my 
prayer was for chaos, not for quality. I mm-hmm. kind of knew what I was getting into on that one. My prayer was for chaos, and it was um, the blanket was wet and thrown over the top of that hope. <laughs> um, one other question for me. Uh, you talked about Atlanta and Toronto. We haven't talked much about Toronto since the opening couple of weeks when, Joe, you were very unimpressed by what you were seeing from them. Uh, has that changed, or is that more or less still the same for you? I am unimpressed relative to expectations. I think Honestly, Toronto's floor is still fairly high in MLS. And, and I wrote about this very recently, actually. I, I think Toronto without Insigne, who's played, I think, 48 minutes so far, started one game, came off against DC United, and then came off the bench against Atlanta this past weekend. So good bookend on, on this conversation. I think Insigne will help this team a lot when he's fit, but who knows when he's going to be fit. Generally, though, the defense has been good. I think the center backs have been strong enough. Sean Johnson is is going to be probably at least an average goalkeeper, if not better. And you have a number of of quality defensive pieces in midfield. Osorio and, and Kay don't bring you much in the attack, but they can still be a solid trio that alongside Michael Bradley that stays tight and is disciplined. And then you've got probably some defensive production from the number nine. Like I think defensively as a team, they even can carry a Bernadeschi. They can carry an Insigne, although we haven't seen them have to do that a lot this year. The attack has is, is been what's struggling. Like They're not creating a ton of chances this year. They haven't looked all that dangerous through eight games or whatever it's been so far. They're 17th in MLS in expected goals so far from from what I found yesterday while writing up this piece. So uh, offensively, there's a lot of room to improve. And if Insigne comes back, they will improve. And if he can play, you know, 1,500 minutes over the rest of the season, they're going to be closer to the top of the East than they are today. If not, like, they'll probably still make the playoffs. And we probably won't remember this season five years from now. (laughs) Hooray! That's a... a resounding summary for Toronto. We shall see what happens there. Let's get to some specific predictions then, shall we, gentlemen? Uh, Joe, you already sort of teased that this was a, a difficult task. Specific predictions always are. Specific predictions for a an entire season, uh, especially so. But then it's the first time we've done it sort of after we've had some games. And we did this deliberately. We wanted to wait until around week eight to feel like we had a better understanding of who some of these teams were, what was happening, what the trends were going to look like, and then start doing some predicting what I hadn't anticipated was that at that point, then you sort of already know some of the things that are happening. So to then make a prediction about a thing that's already happening feels like a little bit of a cop out. I still may have gone that route on a couple of occasions. Uh, but then to go in the other direction requires you to just be like, I know this has been happening, but I think it won't happen anymore. And while you two might have the knowledge to be able to predict those such things, I'm not sure I back my, my, my MLS knowledge to be able to do that. So I, Welcome you all to say, mm, I don't know about that one if I throw out s- some ones that my wife would call interesting. Joe knows what that means. Uh, but with that preamble out of the way, Joe, why don't you get us rolling with uh, your first very specific prediction? All right. I would be happy to do so, Taylor. I appreciate your disclaimer, and Goss and I will uh, roast you as needed. I think I can say that for the both of us. Please, so, thank you so much. My first prediction involves CF Montreal. Goss, you got an up-close-and-personal look at them over the weekend, and I'm, I'm guessing you might back this up. My prediction is that CF Montreal will win only five more games this season. So they played seven games so far. They've won one of them. They've lost all of the other six. I looked at the tables for past years, and basically, to be a spoon contender, you're usually somewhere between six and eight wins. That's generally where we've been in Lesser FC Cincinnati in, I think, 2019, in which case, sorry. But I think Montreal are going to win some games this year. 
I don't think their roster right now will look exactly the same as it will in the summer. But this is a really bad team, like a really, really bad team. Right now, they're on pace to have the worst expected goals differential. There's the analytics, Taylor. There it is. Let's go. They're on pace to have the worst expected goal differential in American Soccer Analysis's database. That's 10 years ago. 2013 is the first season in there. Worse than FC Cincinnati, worse than 2013 Chivas. Like, they are playing historically bad soccer right now. What I will say is, I've just been learning about some of this stuff recently. In statistics, in, in, in especially in some of these models that predict soccer games and, and about you know some of the underlying metrics and use those in their models, there's this idea that you know those things are going to shrink back. This isn't just regression to the mean, but generally speaking, in predictions and in, in models that are trying to predict the future outcomes, you take the expected goal differential of the first 17 games of the season, so the first half of the season, and you probably cut that in half for the second half of the season, figuring that you've got some outliers in there and that generally speaking, things are going to come back to a closer range. So with that in mind, with the season being so young and with a lot of chaos already having happened and likely some more stability coming down the pipeline in the future, they're not going to be the worst expected goal differential team in American soccer history, like in MLS history, that's probably not going to happen. But I still think they're the worst team in this league, and I'm not sure how close it is. Five more wins for Montreal. That is all you get. I have spoken. Uh, I also have a Montreal prediction uh, that kind of goes in line with what Joe said. Uh, I said that they will. Does yours have algebra involved with it? Because Joe already gave a stats class in this one. Uh, well, don't worry, because uh, mine does, and we'll see. Uh, Joe sort of also like has preemptively said, why am I, my, why am I not come true? Ooh, that was tough to say. Uh, but I predict that Montreal will finish with an XG less than 40 for the entire season. Uh, 55.3 last season, in, uh, in the regular season, I should add. Uh, so far, 5.7 through seven games, only three goals scored. As Joe said, very, very poor. 418 shots in the regular season last year. But 68 through seven games, that averages to about like uh, like 70 or fewer shots going forward. Yikes. So I would be a little bit nervous about uh, what things look like for CF Montreal. And I think with some of the roster moves they've made, I, I didn't have a ton of faith in Hernan Losada. After his DC United tenure, I wasn't sure how this was going to work out. I feel like I have a better idea of how it's going to work out, and I don't see it drastically improving anytime soon. So I think they will get some wins, Joe, as you said there. It's why, though it's only like 5.7 through 7 games, So, but I think they will eventually score a few games with sure. multiple goals, but I don't think that's really going to tick the numbers up too much. So I think they're going to have a very poor XG to close out the season, uh, 40 or fewer. I like Taylor's more than Joe's because I do think... Offended. One, Personally offended. They, Continue. Yeah, you should. Uh, one of the things we haven't mentioned yet is they've technically only played one home game in their stadium this whole year and MLS is the most one of the most home heavy leagues in the world so and in that game they only conceded one goal so it was almost a victory for them in that sense <laughs> almost a victory um so i do think defensively i do think defensively they'll be okay now that they get back to Stad Saputo uh but the attack is the huge question mark so i get where you're coming from Taylor Mason Toy went out injured they don't have Kai Kamara obviously Romel Kyoto was reportedly back in Honduras, but I saw him at the game hanging out in a suite. Either way, not helping from that position. And I do not think Bryce Duke is Georgie Mihailovic of last year right now. And I don't know that he'll ever be, but I'm pretty sure he's not today. Yeah, and Montreal are banking in some ways on Milievich being Georgie Mihailovic, or at least somebody who can provide something in the attack. I think he's a good player. I, he's not going to bring what Georgie brought. I don't think they have anybody on their roster that will do that from last year. Just to add context to yours, Taylor, because I love that prediction. 
I I honestly don't know if 40xG off the top of my head is good or bad. I mean, I can kind of figure out that it's bad because... 55 last season. Right, 55 last season was helpful. And I went to look up for the last couple of seasons on EpiRef. Basically, if you're not hitting at least 40xG, you're going to have one of the three or four worst attacks in the league. Like It's it's consistently been there's between one and, and maybe four teams that finish underneath that total over the last few years. And I think that is spot on, Taylor. Yeah, I think the 70 fewer shots for this season is uh, a disconcerting thing because I don't know how they turn those numbers around. I don't know how they get more attack going. Maybe it's with Kyoto, who David Goss, uh, I'm assuming shoehorned in there to mention that he too was in a box. I feel like that's what you're getting at, David. Mainly to mention that Stad Saputo is fun, but it is a minor league high school field and stadium. uh, So you can see everything from everywhere. Ah. If you have never been... It is a fun atmosphere. It does feel like a lower division European stadium that sort of just happened because it did naturally happen. Um, one of the entire sides of the stadium, you cannot come in and out of if any player or coach is coming in and off the field because they have to walk across the concourse. So mm-hmm. post game, the entire stand waits for everyone to leave the field. And it is absurd. Do you know who else has that situation going on? Their opponents, DC United. Audi Field has that same thing. At Do least they, last I was there. No, they, they have ha- to, yeah. They have the no, underground. Uh, maybe they've added that since then, but last I was there, they had to rope it off so that the players could walk past into the locker room and everybody had to kind of stand there and wait, especially if you're in the middle of a concessions line. I that was like the whole part of the build was the gladiator entrance. They come up the stairs from behind the goal and go out. That may have been part of the pitch. It wasn't the case when I was there. Again, maybe they've added that tunnel later on, can, but it was not there when I was can there. Can that bring me to my first Please. prediction? I, is it about tunnels? <laughs> is it, it is, about a gladiator entrance? It is It is very construction-based because you guys oh, did data, so now I have to go into engineering. That's mm. obviously where this show is going. Um, it's that Wayne Rooney won't be coach of DC United by the end of this season. So that's my first one. Is that specific enough? That could that could go a couple different ways. Mm-hmm. Which which way are you expecting it to go? I don't. Do I have to say that? No, I'm just wondering. Is that because somebody will come in and poach him? Because we had a conversation yesterday about how, like, he doesn't get very much credit for what he did at Derby, and what he did at Derby was, I would say, much harder than what say Frank Lampard did. And Frank Lampard is always touted as having this big success with Derby. But Rooney is there when they have less money. Mm-hmm. He's bringing through young players and trying to make something kind of fit and work. And I think for the most part did. Now he's with DC United. So I could see a scenario in which somebody comes in and, and needs him as sort of an emergency manager. I could also see a situation in which DC aren't particularly good. They've got to make a change. Nobody in the front office is going to go. So they part ways with their manager. So I, th- in, in both of those, I can see possibilities. I don't think I don't think it'll happen the way you worded the second one. Like, I don't think he'll get fired, Mm -hmm. but I think the scenario will be, I can be in conversations in England if I want. And I don't like this. Like, this isn't fun. I don't, from what we understand his family still doesn't live here and they're not going to like, this doesn't feel long-term. And if it's not enjoyable now and it's not helping anyone, I think he's just going to leave. And that probably happens in the summer as jobs are opening up and conversations are being had. And it may be straight into a job. It may just be, oh, I'm close enough on interviews that I can just go back and sort of do a little bit of media and be around and I'll be the next guy up. But I think right now his value as a manager is tied to the Derby County years and the fact that he's Wayne Rooney. 
And I don't know that DC United's helping that for him. And if I was DC United, I don't know that he's helping me. Yeah, one of the VSPs that I didn't make but I thought about making was that we have four coaches fired or mutually parted ways with by the end of the season. And Wayne Rooney was very much one of the people that was on that shortlist. Garrett Struber on that shortlist. Maybe one of the more established guys looking towards the bottom of the Western Conference table right now. People can figure that one out. You know, maybe Lasada doesn't last the year in Montreal. Like, I think you can get to four in a very possible kind of way. I, I didn't end up going with it because I'm not so sure. But yeah, gosh, I like that idea. Wayne Rooney was definitely one of the coaches that I've thought about not being around. And DC United, I know we've got a lot more predictions to do and, and not a ton of time to do it. Like DC United... What what is this club like? There, it's so clear to me that their player recruitment has been driven by Wayne Rooney. When he leaves, like like he's bringing in Lewis O'Brien from England, he's bringing in uh, Click from England. Like he's bringing in players Ra- that he Bravo Morrison. Absolutely, that is Morrison yeah. is the best example. Taylor hands down was with Rooney at Derby County and now is is not playing with the team, but it's still somehow attached. And it it's ridiculous, right? It's it's childish some of the stuff. Like DC United have no infrastructure like like what are they planning for what are they building towards it's as an outsider at least it is impossible to tell I don't think they're like a horrendous team I wouldn't be shocked if they make the playoffs that should not be the standard to be very very clear insert bingo space here right like 64 percent yeah 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 I mean like it's it's way too high but DC United are just kind of floating from year to year and when Rooney leaves uh, what are they going to be? What, what are they now? I just I get so frustrated by this team and this club. It feels uh, like it's difficult. You the question. Yeah, they are. It feels like it's That's difficult it. to imagine like doing things in some ways worse than how DC United have done them. Joe, you are correct that uh, we we have limited time, and yet I'm going to stick with this because, Goss, for you watching the game this weekend. Uh, I, I, in person, one of my favorite things to do is just pay attention to body language that you won't be able to see on camera. So seeing who's bickering with each other, seeing what the coaches are doing. Did you pay attention to Rooney at all? What is his disposition on the sidelines, if so? He's pretty active. Um, He's, like, very active with his assistant coaches. So they're constantly Mm. talking with him. And you see that most of the time, but they were, like, up off the bench coming over to talk to him a lot. And then they're giving out orders and commands. Um, and if for anyone who's an MLS person, one of those assistant coaches is Carl Robinson as well, which is kind of hilarious to see because he sort of had a weird experience around Major League Soccer and was head coach in Vancouver for a while. I would argue unsuccessfully. Um, he, so he's pretty involved. He's like pretty engaged throughout the game. He's was pretty active with his subs in this one as well. But man, it's just like not fun. To be around, and was Losada just weighing people on the sidelines? Pretty much, is that what he was doing in contrast. He he does a lot of Greg Berhalter ball chasing to get the ball back in. <laughs> oh, of course, because he, he has to stay fit and active at all times to stay under five percent body fat. <laughs> of course, otherwise he's gonna scream at himself. He has I to guess. cut himself. It's just him staring in the yeah. mirror and cutting himself. There we go. All right, let's take a quick break, and then we'll be back with more specific predictions. Back shortly. 
Don't just ride the index, seek to outperform it with Fidelity Active ETFs. Learn more at fidelity.com slash active ETFs. Before investing in any exchange-traded fund, you should consider its investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Contact Fidelity for a prospectus, an offering circular, or if available, a summary prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully. While active ETFs offer the potential to outperform an index, these products may more significantly trail an index as compared with passive ETFs. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC, member NYSE, SIPC. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Terms or restrictions apply. All right, we are back. We've each done one prediction. We have more to come. Joe, why don't you keep us going? Where should we go next? All right, I'm hitting people with my two for one. We're going to Atlanta, staying in the Eastern Conference. Buckle up, people. I- I'm excited about this one. So my-, my VSPs here for Atlanta are that Tiago Almada is going to be sold for a league record fee at $32 million. That is a number that I totally picked out of a hat. And he'll be the last $20 million plus transfer that Atlanta United have for at least the next five years. So let me say that one more time. Almada's going to go for a league record fee, $32 million. That is $6 million more than Miguel Amiron, I believe. Uh, and, and that's the first half of this. The second half is that he'll be the last $20 million plus transfer that Atlanta have for the next five years or, or more. The idea here is, is twofold. So first, transfer fees don't tell the whole story. Just to get that out of the way, we should evaluate moves on as much information as we have, unfortunately, Transfer fees are often the only piece of information that that get trickled down to the public sphere. So we should take that with a grain of salt. But that would make Amada the most expensive outgoing MLS player of all time. And he has been very, very good. He's been very, very good this year. He's still young. Not I'm honestly not sure if he's like the best young player in MLS history. There have been a lot of good ones. But he is certainly the best young player in this current MLS landscape that gets to take advantage of the guys that have gone before him, right? That gets to take advantage of an Almiron going for $26 million, which was massive at the time, of an Alfonso Davies going to Bayern Munich from Vancouver, which was also massive at the time. Four clubs overpaying for Ricardo Pepe and for Daryl DK. Like, is going to get to take advantage of that and the fact that MLS is now a real player in the global transfer market. And given his pedigree with Argentina, given the fact that he is a regular for that program like the the world cup winners he's getting called up he's getting some game time he's looking like the best player in major league soccer by a a pretty wide margin right now i think it's kind of a no-brainer that he's going to move it's more of a matter of when and how much and i'm setting my stall out at that 30 million dollar plus mark that's the first half the other half of this just quickly is i think this is going to be the last big sale for atlanta for a while at least of players not coming through their academy and the reason why is that Garth Lagerwey has come out and said multiple times since going to be uh, in charge of Atlanta United, essentially on the sporting side, and even in some other ways as well. Like he's talked about how we want to start signing older DPs. We want to start looking for in-prime players that have had success in multiple countries, 
rather than some of these more speculative, high-risk, high-reward signings. So I would not expect Atlanta United, when they have an open DP spot, to go out and sign another Barco or Pitti, although I think Pitti was a little bit older, or Almada. I would expect them instead to be looking maybe at South America, maybe at Europe, but maybe looking for players more in the the Gigi profile, right? The the Giacomacchi's profile of a little bit older, more in their prime, have, have played in multiple countries. Garth talks about, you know, having success in multiple different countries and then coming into your club. That's what I think Atlanta United are going to do. And so their big sales are going to come through Caleb Wiley's. They're going to come through, you know, maybe the occasional U22 player, but I don't think we're going to see an Almada size outgoing move for Atlanta United maybe for as long as Garth Lockerway is there, or or at least not for the foreseeable future. And how did you land on your 32 million figure? I just, you know, hit random number generator or something between 26 <laughs> and 35, and it landed on 32. I, that one is like pulling a straw out of a hat, but the idea is he's going to break the record, and then I thought, that prediction is not spicy enough, let me add something to the back of it, and that's why I added the second half, which I actually feel really good about, and I, I, I'm pretty confident that both of these things will be true. And do you get a half point for each one? No, or are these full, two full, full point. Predictions? Full point. This is two okay, full, full predictions. points. Full points. Yeah, All I got to right. get to five. It has to be out of five, just like for you guys. <laughs> so this counts as you, two separate predictions. It is two. It's two. I don't. Yeah, I don't know why this system. is so confusing. It, this is two entirely separate <laughs> predictions. One is about Almada, and one is about Atlanta United's transfer strategy. They're not. It's not the same. Well, I, the only issue with the second one is we won't know at the end of this year. Yeah. Yeah. Well, because we at most would be one transfer in. Are we so going to stop is, hanging out next year? I don't play. understand. Yeah. We, we'll come back in five years, sit down okay. exactly what we're sitting we right now and roll the tape. I don't understand the what's going on. The time capsule has been buried. Right. They if do, I'm still this renting is... this apartment in five years, I don't know what's going on. <laughs> Write it on the wall in, in red Sharpie, yeah. and then we'll remember they it five do, years from now. They That's do like say, so when we're done recording, this goes out to like a podcast feed. And that's where people listen. And you can scroll back to ones in the past and like listen to those. So I sort of imagine that that's like what we can do for this. I'm excited to track this for the next five years. There are shades of when Daryl Grove predicted that a player would retire because he got megged by a Richmond Kickers player in a preseason game, to which I pointed out that like these are actual predictions and that guy is still playing, which he had kind of forgotten, I think, in the spirit Who's of making the player? a hilarious prediction. Uh, it was somebody for Palace. I forget who it was, oh, but he nice. continued to play and was just fine. So, oh man, it's been a minute. Jason Punchian? No, it was a defender who was. What is was, happening? Joe right Ledley. Now? It was Joe Ledley. What is That's going what on? There we go. It was Damn Joe it. Ledley. Anyway, um, I will continue my trend of making negative predictions. Joe, a team that you, I believe, were alluding to previously. Uh, let's talk Sporting KC for a moment. I say Sporting KC will have the fewest goal and assist contributions from their DPs of any MLS team this season. Uh, so the fewest goals from DPs, the fewest assists from their DPs, which is already the case right now. Uh, designated players would be Alan Polito. He's only played 132 minutes so far. Uh, Garikinda has not played at all. Missed the entirety of last season with a knee injury. And from what I read, a.k.a. the frantic posts on the Saint, uh, on the uh, Sporting KC Reddit page, does not seem like he is going to be back anytime soon. Johnny Russell has recently returned to action, has not scored or assisted in 250 minutes so far. Uh, and a great uh, breakdown. Uh, more numbers for you, Goss. Uh, coming from Jeff Reuter of The Athletic. Basically, I'll, I'll do some quick math for you. If you have uh, 11 players on the pitch, each one of them potentially playing 90 minutes, so that's 990 minutes for your starters total in a game. Ideally, if you've got three DPs, you want them playing 
270 of those minutes, thereabouts, which gives you uh, those three players constituting 27% of all of your minutes for starters. So if you're getting your DPs playing every single minute of every single game, they're playing 27% of the total minutes. Right now, Sporting KC averaging about 5% of all of their total minutes. So they're having to make that up through squad players, some academy players, but the performances are not there. And it just seems like it's not going to round into form anytime soon. Again, Kinda uh, does not seem like he's coming back anytime. Uh, Polito still sort of recovering, not looking sharp. Johnny Russell looked off the pace, I would say, in the game that I saw him play. Admittedly, his his return from injury, his first game of the season, but that he still hasn't contributed, I, I would say, is very worrying amongst many different worrying signs for Sporting KC. All of that to say, they may turn it around, they may get some contributions, but I think with the way things are going, they're going to get the fewest goal and assist contributions of any DPs in MLS this season. So here's your big threats. Mm-hmm. Colorado Rapids, lone DP Kevin Cabral. The best. So that's a danger. <laughs> I believe he was previously worth $6 million, he and was. he's going to back that fee up, baby. He, he was. was worth it, that's for sure. Yep. CF Montreal, lone DP Victor Wanyama. That's a threat. Mm-hmm. I think those two are dangerous. Houston, Sebas Ferreira has not played in three straight games. Teenage Hadebi, a center back, and then Ache Ache. Probably less of a threat. Those would be the three that I think threaten your prediction in which just Pulido and Russell tripping over backwards while healthy could probably score an assist on an equal amount of goals than Wanyama and Cabral. But I like the take. Uh, First of all, counterpoint, nuh-uh. Uh, second <laughs> point, I would say, uh, very nerve-wracking when I start making my prediction and both Joe and Goss are like immediately on their phones looking stuff up and it's just like, oh, I'm about to get <laughs> like debunked hard on this one. Well, I, go ahead, Goss. No, I'm just behind the curtain for everyone. My computer sucks. I can't look up anything on my computer right now because my feet will crash. So that's why I'm on my phone. I, uh, I, and I was pulling up my spreadsheet of DPs in Major League Soccer. That is not a joke. Um, and so I, I honestly, I think this will probably not come true, but mm-hmm. I think it is a very good prediction. Like that gets to the spirit of where SKC are right now. Like their attack has not been good. And, and a lot no. of that has been injury driven. Polito, Kinda, Russell have all missed time this year with injury. Taylor, you got to that point. Johnny Russell's 33. Like it's generally accepted that the prime for wingers, like you're out of your prime by 27. John Russell is well beyond that. And in, at MLS, in MLS, you know, that's going to be extended because the quality of defenders is not as high as it is in the, the game's top levels. But, you know, time is ticking on Johnny Russell. Time is ticking, ticking on Alan Polito and, and on all of these injured players. SKC don't have the depth out wide. They don't have the attacking depth, at least in central midfield with creative players or out wide with goal-scoring players to withstand injuries or like declines for these players they don't now I think they could round into form and SKC could still be a very dangerous team this year but we don't have evidence that that really proves that this season and so Taylor I think you're absolutely right to point towards a major problem area for sporting Kansas City right now like they they just don't have the production and that needs to change if they want to compete this year so I may not get the point in the end, but uh, I have yet to embarrass myself with either of my two predictions so far. Let's keep that trend going, hopefully. Uh, but David, let's come to you for your next specific prediction. Um, and thank you for your support, Joe. I You're have welcome. way too many random ones, so I'll go with a bigger one here. Um, Jesus Ferreira will win the Golden Boot, and he Ooh. will do so at an equal or higher mark than last year's winner, which was Hani Mukhtar at 23 goals. So Jesus Ferreira currently five goals in eight games played. 
So in theory, he's on pace for what? Roughly 18 to 20 goals. Last year, he scored 18. I think he's going to do better than that. I think he's going to end up 23 or plus, and I think he is going to win uh, that award. I can go more, but I think it's pretty obvious. I uh, I love that pick, Gus. That's not one that I would have thought of. How much money are FC Dallas paying you for these sort of weekly appearances? I know Taylor's paying you, and I, I would assume that that Nico or, or somebody in Dallas, like what is that number, if you don't mind? Um, I picked FC Dallas to finish second in the Western Conference. Yep. They have proceeded to continue to win. So, LA Galaxy fan supporters over here, relax, Joe. Uh, and yeah, that's all. Okay, fair enough. That's I do, all I'm gonna. That's all I have to say about the war. So. I think Ferreira. Fair enough. I think Ferreira will be uh, a top goal scorer in MLS. I, I'm not sure if he's gonna win the Golden Boot. None of us really know. Like, yeah, we're all we're all taking shots at the dartboard here. But I wanted to ask you guys. We've seen Dallas go over the last couple of weeks to playing Jesus Jimenez, a number nine, somebody who's who's not really going to drop in. He's going to be more of a traditional player up top. And and that has not totally changed Ferreira's role because Ferreira is always somebody who's going to drop in and play underneath. But does that factor into the calculus at all? Do you think that's going to set up Ferreira for more and better chances? What does that look like? I think, so the first thing with that, which was one of my first thought process, is it just shows how essential he is that no matter who's playing, if he's healthy, he's on the field. Right, There is no scenario in which Dallas puts their better teams out there and Jesus Ferrer isn't playing, whether it's as a 10 or a 9 or as one of those two wide players. I do think it sets him up really well because what we've seen from these goals is he can come from deeper spots on pullbacks and he's a really good finisher in those moments. There, It can either come from a wide player getting to the end line or from Jesus Jimenez laying it off for him. So I think he is in his most comfortable goal-scoring positions more often out of that spot. I also think just the variance will make his game easier over the year because you can't prep. Like, you don't know where Jesus Ferrer is going to play, where last year your entire game plan was how do we close him out as a nine? Like, how do we take him out of the game? And even if he starts six straight games as a nine – You don't know that he's going to do that. And so you have to spend some of your week calculating for what if Jesus Ferreira starts as a 10 and Jesus Jimenez starts as a 9. So I think all of that's a factor. I think, although he got hurt, Alan Velasco's emergence is a factor as well of like taking pressure off him, making his life easier, Sebastian Legette being in the team as well. I think Nico Estevez right now is setting them up pragmatically and sort of safer. And I think that will grow as this year goes along and, I'm hoping he gets more confidence in his center backs specifically. And so that gives a little bit more space. But no matter, even if that's the case, I think a lot of their attack ends at Jesus Ferrer. Which player, theoretically, are you all most comfortable saying won't win the the golden boot? As in which, like, number nine, which goal oh. scorer that gets some hype do you feel like isn't going to perform to the level of expectation? I was going to say Teenage Adibe because Goss got me thinking about him, and then he said striker, and that completely changes the game. Because well, I can't have it be like Sean Johnson. Like, Sean Johnson will not win the golden boot is not quite what I'm looking for. Right, right. That does check out. I'm tr- I'm scrolling through the list of names right now. Driussi, I guess that would be a good one. Goal yeah. scorer, not a number nine. Got a ton of hype last year. Yeah, Austin perfect. in general. Yeah. Have, have cratered this year. Not to say I told you so, but like everybody everybody kind of told you so. I think Drew C's expected goals numbers, I was looking at this yesterday too, have been cut in half 
And a big reason for that is because Diego Fagundes' chance creation numbers, or I, I actually don't know which way this is going, but like Fagundes has dropped off, Drusi has dropped off, the number nine situation is is still uncertain, and Jossi Zardes isn't even starting at this point. So I, I think Drusi would be my answer to high high profile player. Gets a I lot think, of hype. Some of it is deserved, but I, I just am not seeing it this year. I think if anyone chose Joseph Martinez, that's one that's off the board already, and that will I have a VSP coming up that will Ooh. be involved in that. Lewis Morgan scored 15, 17 goals last yeah, year. Yeah, told me lot. he wants to do better. That doesn't seem to be the case. So that's another one for you. Uh, if you're looking for more names, Sebas Ferreira, if for any reason anyone thought he would right. be involved in this, or Alan Polito. Uh, they all seem to be off the board. So those would be some, I think, pretty quick ones out the gate. I wouldn't choose Emmanuel Reynoso if you were doing I, I would, um, future yeah. bets right now. Don't do that. Does uh, I don't think Cucho has a goal this year either. And I know he's been injured. Yeah, he's, he's been, been hurt for a as while. well. I'm, I'm generally, I think, lower on Cucho than a lot of folks are. I think he's a good player. I don't know that he's like a great player. And I also think Columbus's attack is bordering on overrated through this part of the season. I think they're a much better team than they were last year. I still think they're a couple of pieces away from really being dangerous. So Kucho, I so, might add to that list, but he's not at a Drew UC level, I don't think. So I, I I think that makes sense. And I always think about the Philly guys. I do think Columbus and Philly are two teams where when they have their stretch, they will score four goals in mm. a few games in a row at some point this year. We saw it from Philly last year. We've sort of already seen it from Columbus. And I think Columbus would rather win 4-3 than 1-0. And that just for if you're a forward, that's going to give you an opportunity to sort of stay in that conversation if he can get healthy at some point. Uh, Joe, do you have have you done three or two? I've done three technically. Yes. Okay. Um, then I will then I will do another one uh, to balance it out. Uh, I will say Dewan Jones will finish in the top ten in progressive carrying distance covered. That's a fun one. That's a really really sexy one. We all enjoying that one. Uh, so, Joe, really, really quickly, since you could probably say it more succinctly than I, what is progressive carrying distance? Uh, I don't know how FB Ref defines progressive carries, but I assume progressive carrying distance is literally the amount of ground that the player carries the ball forward over the course of a season. Yeah, towards the goal, yeah. right? That's, that's what makes it progressive. Uh, yeah, he is 11th in the league right now in total progressive carries, 5th in carrying distance, 3rd in total carrying distance. So basically, very attacking and very, uh, like, like capable of taking the ball and carrying it forward and then making things happen. Less so in terms of crossing or penetrating passes. I'm assuming a lot of that has to do with him being right-footed but playing left-back. So I think we will continue to see him uh, be instrumental in transitioning to attack for New England by carrying the ball forward himself. Uh, I think only 10% of his completed passes this season have been into the final third. But again, I I take that as being because of the right-footedness and being able to carry and out-dribble people and then look for the pass. Uh, So I think Dewan Jones will top uh, finish in the top 10 for progressive carrying distance covered. And I also think we'll continue to get shouts uh, or f- to get looks for the USMNT if he continues his uh, recent form or his like form starting with last season. Do you have any worry that he will not be in MLS throughout the full season? Do you think he will go to Europe? I do now. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't when I made that prediction. That's a, that's a good reason why that might not come true. Do you uh, have that same concern? I don't as much. I know he wants it. Um, he's sort of past the age where teams will pay a high number. And I think he has more value to the revs on the team than off, but the revs have put themselves in a spot where they are sort of selling or they are pitching to players. We are a selling team and it becomes tougher if you hold on to guys. So I'm not a hundred percent sure, but that would be my big concern. Cause I think 
everything you laid out makes 100% yeah, sense. The way they play, the way he plays, the durability he's had. Um, he is an outlet for them no matter who's on the field. And he has been consistent for them. So the only question would be, if he plays well enough, is $1.5, $2.2 million worth it? Is that out there from a Belgian team, from a lower division German team? Or, you know, Bundesliga 2, lower Bundesliga squad. That's kind of where you'd expect it to happen. Um, But I I think he might be past that. Uh, But he doesn't. Do you have concerns about the defensive side of his game then if he were to make that jump? Because that's the other thing that I could see holding him back. Joe, I don't have a DP spreadsheet, but I just have a player spreadsheet. Uh, And my notes on him are very good speed, uh, very good tackling, especially for MLS, and then in parentheses, uh, no disrespect intended. But I think his positioning would be exploited in a better league because he's reliant on speed. I kind of think the similar similar to Alfonso Davies a little bit. We saw that happen uh, with him in Bayern Munich against Manchester City. I think Dewan Jones has a good long time before he's worrying about getting knocked out of the Champions League by Manchester City. But the defensive side <laughs> of things is the the area that I think could also limit him uh, making that jump to a bigger league. I think that's probably true. I mean, I, I don't think he's a bad defender, especially for MLS, but... Any jump up, and I'm not sure that Belgium, you know, which is a good example from Goss about a, a reasonable move, is really that much of a jump up. Maybe the top few teams are and the rest is is probably not. So I don't think it would stand out like a sore thumb in the way that it stood out for Brian Reynolds for a really long time as a sore thumb. But yeah, I think he would be maybe a little bit limited in that way. And then I'd, I'd just be curious to see if he play on the right or the left for a, for a future team. I would imagine on the right, which would change things for him. But either way, to be honest... I don't, I don't really think he's going to move. So, Taylor, I think this one's going to hit for you. Brian Reynolds has also played well in Belgium. So, if that's – I think that's a decent comp. Obviously, Dwan's like eight years older. Um, the other thing is you'd hope he'd be brought in as a wingback because I do think when you talk about his best attributes, like that could be the best for him. And so, yes. if that's what a team plays as, it takes away some of those issues. It basically would maximize his strengths and take away his weaknesses. Perfect. All right. Cool. I'm, I'm going to say I'm three for three in terms of not embarrassing myself. You are, Should, for sure. You're doing great. Continue. Uh, so, Goss, so I to go you next. for your third. Um, okay, so this one I don't have. Ooh. Why? I'm just, I'm, just, I'm just putting the pressure on early. <laughs> this one I don't have completed the way I should. Uh-huh. So what I have down is NYCFC's leading scorer currently is not on their roster. That's good. I love that. I love that. That's a great so prediction. Much. That's great. I know. I wish I had a name connected to that to oh, say no. also this is who they'll sign. But even if it doesn't happen in this window, which means it would happen in the summer, this is a team that's going to go get a really good South American number nine as a 22 under 22 spot because that's what they have available to them. Their tentacles are deep in South America with all the clubs they own in Brazil and Uruguay, and they have shown that they play those guys immediately. Most MLS teams, 22 under 22 initiative players, young players, they sort of slow roll them. What we saw with Gabi Pereira the moment he stepped on the team, um, what we've seen with Tiago Andrade, although they sent him on loan already, Santi Rodriguez as well, is those guys play instantly, and it is the position of need at that number nine. Um, so I don't think they believe Talos Magno's future is there. I think they believe they're he can be good enough and they can be good enough that it works for everyone. And I actually don't think that's as wrong as most people believe, but he's already been moved out of that spot because they've decided that Gabe Seagal or Gabe Siegel playing there uh, is more 
useful with those guys on the wing. So I think they'll go get the nine. I think it'll be a player who scores a ton of goals for them. Uh, and I think that they are a team that has shown the flexibility to just constantly make moves no matter what point of the window you're in. Yeah, Re- retweet like basically all of that. I think that that's maybe the best prediction that we've had so far, and I'm kind of jealous that I didn't think about it. It's going to be yeah, Magno too. and Santi Rodriguez and Gabby Pereira and Richie Ledesma all with somewhere between like three and nine goals at the end of the season. Like they're, they're going to be splitting it so evenly, and, and maybe Pellegrini snags a few here and there, although I don't really know why he started as many games as he has this year. Uh, I think you snag a nine who's going to get you 10 goals either before the primary transfer window ends, which is in less than a week. Now, I think this upcoming Monday is when that window closes or when the secondary transfer window opens, which is towards the beginning of July. Either way, there's enough time for that player to grab double digit goals. If it's a good one and with NYCFC, we have every reason to expect that it will be. Yeah, gosh, that's a really good prediction. And I really like it because I tried to come up with one for NYCFC from an attacking standpoint, and just kept struggling to come up with something that I felt like gave me clarity. You went the other way, and I think your way was probably the smarter. So well done, David Goss, for that one. I'm in. Uh, I really, really like that one, Joe. <laughs> I, I agree with you. I, I retract my earlier boos. I apologize for those. Don't worry. I've got two bad ones coming up. Okay, I'll boo those. Uh, Joe, uh, coming back to you for your fourth. All right, this is about San Jose, because I think San Jose are fun and good this year. They're both of those things, and they're not getting enough credit because the crew have stolen it all. And the crew do deserve credit as well. But we can have one darling in the East and one in the West. And San Jose, for me, are the darling in the West. My prediction is that they're going to improve by more points per game from last year to this year than any other team with a new coach in MLS. So they're going to finish with a better points per game ratio relative to last year than any other team with a new manager in MLS. Now, that pool is not especially large, but we're talking Houston with Ben Olsen. We're talking Columbus with Ofenance. We're talking Montreal with Hernan Losada. I think of those teams... San Jose will see the largest increase on points per game. They finished with 35 points last year, which put them at just over one points per game. They were last in the Western Conference. This year, they're averaging 1.75. They are securely above the playoff line right now. I think this team is legitimately good. They are not deep. They've already lost one outfield player to a season-long injury, uh, one outfield starter in, in Nathan. Nathan, I'm not still not sure how we're supposed to say that, but he's out. They can't really withstand a lot of other injuries and absences. So that is a caveat here, but generally speaking, I think relative to where they were last year, I think San Jose are going to be the best team with a new coach this year. They might not finish higher than Columbus. I think they'll finish higher than Houston and definitely higher than Montreal. They might not finish higher than Columbus, but the jump they're going to make and have already shown that they can make is and will be larger than any other team with a new manager, and they deserve a ton of credit for that. They dismantled Sporting Kansas City this weekend. 3-0 looked very, very good. You can see the buildup. You can see their comfort in the shape. You can see their principles of play both with and without the ball. They have some top-end talent that doesn't get discussed a lot. Taylor, you mentioned Abobasi earlier. That's a great shout. He is a, a top number nine in this league. They have production out wide. They have quality central midfielders. I just like so much of this team, and I think they're going to do well this year. Joe, any concerns about when Pep Guardiola is managing Inter-Miami after Phil Neville is sacked and then he's winning every single game? Will that hurt your prediction at all? Do you guys think, this is so ludicrous, but I'm going to say it anyway. Do you think Pep Guardiola coaching Inter-Miami without Messi or without Busquets, so basically with the roster right now, finish higher than a San Jose Earthquakes? Like finish with a better points per game record? I'm I'm genuinely not sure that I, I do. I think San Jose I, still I, might finish higher. Here's what I will say. I think he would get more effort out of players than anybody else could because it's Pat. Yeah, and I totally think people fair. will listen to everything he says. Now, with that said, my answer is no. 
and I and I remember going back to the uh, the United Soccer Coaches Convention in Philly many years ago, and there was a sport uh, a Spanish coach. I'm going to try to keep this vague. There was a Spanish coach who was trying to run a how do you. Uh, coach, like I think it was progressive passing, and how do you uh, like coach your players to to think off the ball, to to spot opportunities? He kept saying to open the door to the attack, and he had this academy team that he was using as kind of like the demo team to run through. Uh, it was a local ac- academy team, so you can probably connect some dots there. And the session kept getting derailed because he was asking them to do this very high level stuff and they could not do it and they kind of weren't getting it. And I think part of it was, was the accent. Part of it was he had a limited time window to work through, but he just kept like, and so he kept having to boil it down to basics and the session sort of kind of got derailed along the way. Uh, and I see that also happening with Pep where he is screaming at them about how you must understand this and this and this and this and all of that information that they would have to process. I think that would be a pretty Jarring transition, uh, some disrespect intended to Phil Neville, but not full disrespect intended to Phil Neville. I just think it would be a, an entirely different animal and one that would be very difficult to get your head around pretty quickly. I think we can all agree. I love that, Taylor. I think we can all agree that we should see what happens, like that we should make yes. this happen, get, make happen, get Pep Guardiola to Miami, and then see. I feel like it's an insane person thing to say that I just said that San Jose would do better than that team. But I I don't know. I think, I think it's probably true. I just think the Quakes are good. I think they're a good team. If you want to enjoy watching a soccer game, like legitimately watch the Earthquakes. They're fun to watch. They're a quality group. Yeah, I think they're going to do well this year. I'm, I can't even. I'm just the Pep, Miami, everything. Now we've got a youth team involved. It just, I'm overwhelmed right now. We need to draw Goss a picture, Taylor, I think is what. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, I'll draw him a picture of a perfect prediction, which is that uh, Gerhard Struber will not last the season uh, and the Red Bulls won't make the playoffs if you want me to make that an even bigger prediction, given the numbers we've talked about. Uh, One win in eight games. They're currently in 12th place. Uh, And I think uh, I was talking with Felipe Cardenas of The Athletic about this. This is somewhat lifted from his thoughts. Uh, Mostly I'm just trying to give credit because he was the one to say, I don't think they're going to make the playoffs. and, uh, And I think... That's a bold statement, but the more you think about it, uh, it's kind of rooted in the idea that with everything going on at the club, uh, Struber's still under fire for his uh, inaction or lack of action when it come to uh, when it came to the racial abuse from uh, Van Zier towards a San Jose player. Uh, that I think the the fans still very frustrated. There were the walkouts this weekend, and I think if the form were better, if the team were playing better, I don't think that goes away. But I think there is less vocal frustration with everything that has happened. Uh, and, and I think it doesn't seem like the results are going to improve. It doesn't seem like the energy and the just the chemistry in the squad is going to improve anytime soon. And it does feel like a situation where even though he has then come out and said, you know, like I, 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 I now in hindsight would have acted differently and would have acted more swiftly. I, I don't think even that really did much to quell concerns or quell frustration from supporters that I think was already existing, and this has brought out even more so. I think that frustration is still with the club as well, and I don't see this ending well. I also don't see him getting sacked anytime soon. Famous last words, they're going to sack him this week now, aren't they? Uh, but I just think things things are bad. Red Bulls and fans would send you worse. a gift basket if that's how you jinx that. <laughs> I'll take that. I'll take if I get a gift basket for a prediction, I will take that one. But I think at the very least he will not last the entirety of the season and I think uh if he hangs on for a while, the Red Bulls will not make the playoffs. I get I get the idea one Seattle fans celebrating right now because they currently are tied with Red Bulls for the longest playoff streak in MLS history. 
they lost, they didn't make it last year, so they cannot extend that streak. Red Bulls could, and they would stand alone. So you are in some good company in the Pacific Northwest right now. It just, I think what we see in the fact that the Red Bulls have the longest playoff streak record is the floor gets pretty high with this team. And there are a lot of MLS teams that don't know who they are and won't know who they are and won't figure it out or will figure it out and then give up on themselves. For the most part, Red Bulls will play their system. It will work sometimes. It won't other times. I don't know if you've heard, but 64% of teams in MLS make the playoffs. I actually don't know. What, what is it the is number? It is 62, so just to be clear. There we so go. is it 62? Yeah, yeah 18 oh, divided by 29, just right? better. Yeah, I know. It's, yeah, it is 62. Okay. You can wow. say 64. I, I, I wasn't going to correct or like say anything about it. So, 62% of teams make the playoffs. So every time, I yeah, I like I like the take. I like the idea um, because it has been worse than it has been in the past. The big issue is the goal scoring. Um, it doesn't seem like they have a solution for that, but that has always been the case, and they have also always made the playoffs. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's it's. I don't feel fully comfortable predicting anybody to not make the playoffs because it seems like anybody could with a win or two uh, because the playoffs it's are stupid, stupid now. It's, stupid. it's so stupid. <laughs> but, yeah. But, and, and again, like, I do – not to spend too much time on this because I don't really want to, and others have talked about it uh, better than I can, including Extra Time. I liked uh, you all's conversation about it. Uh, but I, I – like, hearing what Struber has said and kind of defending why he didn't take action sooner, I do get it. And I will say I had – very much not the same scenario, but when I was a, I was a kid, I was a teenager. Uh, an opposition coach like 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 yelled at me like he thought I was being dirty. I really wasn't. I, I was not a dirty player then. I am a little dirtier now. Uh, and I and I just kind of gave him like a sarcastic like, okay, yeah, thumbs up. And he turned to my coach and said like, your player just flicked me off. Your player just told me that like f off, man. Like you got to get this kid out of this game. And I genuinely had not done that. And my coach looked at me and I think saw the shocked expression on my face of like, I didn't do that. And was just sort of like, all right, whatever, man, play on. And in that moment, he could have pulled me out and he could have like believed what the other coach had said. And it would have been a very strange moment for me. I get how there can be that moment as a coach of, ah, I don't want to like hurt this player's confidence. I don't quite know what happened, but it does seem like it became very clear, very quickly what happened. And then that inaction continued. And so, so to hear Struber talk about it, I appreciate that he has tried to be, transparent and tried to talk about the impact it has had on him, the impact that getting booed by fans has had on him. But I still think it's a little bit uh, too little too late. And I don't think it's been, to be honest, like genuine enough. Maybe this is because I'm watching Ted Lasso right now. And I feel like Ted Lasso would have sat down and given you a whole conversation about what that means and what the experience is. And it's unfair to hold anybody. It's almost like they would have scripted it, workshopped it and then done it. Exactly. And maybe even done it more than once. And I think, and I think that that is perhaps uh, a good point that you can't rehearse that thing, but you can at least have a a better apology and a better admission that things need to be done better and done differently. And when you don't get that, I think fans come away feeling like you already seem kind of entrenched, you already seem kind of determined to stick with what you think works and not really evolve. And now that extends to a, like a, an incident of, of racism. So we're okay if you go away. And I, and I think that also informs how I don't think things are going to get better, at least from the atmosphere standpoint, anytime soon. So uh, we can move swiftly on from that one if you all like, because I believe David has two more still to be uh, predicted. Mr. Goss, over to you. Yeah, these are not very good. So... I'm just going to go with them for now. Uh, Let's start with 
the Columbus crew. And I don't believe that Eloy Room will be on the roster by the end of this season. They've started to play Patrick Schulte in his second year as a draft pick. Uh, he's on a Generation Adidas contract, so they don't pay any of his salary to their salary cap. That's like a huge boon for a player, especially in goal. Um, and I think Eli Room will either have value to another team or a team outside of MLS, or he won't want to be on the bench. And he is still a Curacao international. He will probably start in the Gold Cup this year. So I, I don't think he will be on that team at the end of the season. I think there are teams in MLS, Paging, Sporting KC, who could maybe go out and get him. Um, maybe Chicago Fire. But, uh, yeah, that's my unnecessary, no one cares about it, very specific prediction. Joe, do you care about it? I care about it. I care about it. I think goalkeepers are important. I think Eli Room had a good year last year and has looked very poor in the time he spent on the field this year. He's been injured a bit, right, Goss? Is that that's a yeah. part of it? Yeah, okay. He started the year hurt. But I, I, we also know that Columbus are starting to value younger players more. They took more advantage, or at least had a better year in MLS Next Pro than anybody else in Major League Soccer. And I believe Schulte came from that team, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. So it, it wouldn't surprise me if Columbus are thinking, yeah, we can trim some money off of our salary cap. We can maybe generate a little bit of revenue here. It's not one I thought about, but it, the goalkeeper position for the crew is absolutely something to monitor. And as you said, so last year we saw Roman Celentano probably too early pushed into the lineup because of injuries. And then once you're there, if you don't lose the spot, you don't lose the spot. That's like a unique position, I think, in that way because you can't then bring someone else in for spot starts or, you know, sub minutes or whatever. So, yeah, that was sort of my line of thinking. I like that one. I like that one a lot. I also like like hyper-specific ones that then also tell us a little bit more about the development of the team and the roster and what their identity is going to be. So I endorse this prediction, even if Eli Room doesn't, but also maybe does if it means he gets to go somewhere else and then uh, start a new and see what happens. So, Goss, I like that one. Joe, one more for you, your final specific prediction. My last please. one. It comes from me being just sort of like generally irritated about the discussion around this team because it doesn't feel like there's any room for nuance, and this is like the best example of a situation that needs nuance that I can think of in MLS right now. It's at I who this is gonna St. Be. Louis is who it's going to be ah, about. Mm-hmm. St. Louis City will be the fifth MLS expansion team in history to break the 1.5 points per game mark. Chicago did it in the 90s. The Sounders did it. Atlanta did it. LAFC did it. Those are the only teams that have done it. I think St. Louis are going to be the fifth. I would not have said that coming into this year. They've been much better than I thought. They're also not as good as as what they're showing, right? Like, this this is the need for nuance. It's not like St. Louis are the best team at MLS are going to win the Shield or this team is trash. Like, there's room for middle ground. They're averaging 2.25 points per game right now. That's going to drop. Like, I, I would bet any amount of money that that number will drop, but they're still a good team. Like, they've gotten much better production out of the pieces that they've identified than I thought they would. The DPs are better than I thought they would be. They come in with a coherent tactical identity, which seems to me is something that can elevate your floor as an MLS team. Like, this is a good team. I don't think they're an elite MLS team. I've already written about that this season. I think they will end up above 1.5 points per game, which is a great mark for an expansion team. I mean, at this point, that's a good enough mark for sure to get you into the playoffs. So credit to St. Louis for how they started. Credit for battering Cincinnati last weekend. Like, they've had so many impressive moments this year. And generally speaking, they're going to be a good team in 2023. So on that, at 1.5 which I know was just your line, but at 1.5, based off last year, they would maybe be a nine seed. Sure. 
Is that what you're thinking? No, I, th- I think they'll be higher than that because they already have a big cushion, right? So they played, what, eight games so far this year? Something along those yeah. lines. That's 26 and on, games and times 1.5 points. points per game is 39 plus 18. Like, you know, that's maybe it's not going to end up being that high, but they're going to get like they're, they're not going to be a fringe playoff team at this point. I would okay. be pretty surprised with the cushion they built. Um, but I, I also don't think they're going to win a trophy this year. And that's fine. Like, that's totally fine. It just seems to me that there's only two ends of this discussion which I just think is silly. So anyway, I think St. Louis are going to end up being the fifth expansion team to break that 1.5 mark. What are the two ends of the discussion? That they're the best expansion team ever versus they're not that good? Yeah, like they're like they're a fantastic team. Like they're a trophy favorite for this year versus like, oh, actually these results are ridiculous. They're not this good. They're overperforming by a mile. And like, MLS is paying their opponents to give them exactly, the ball. Exactly. All of one. those yeah. things. Like yeah. it's, it's not the... MLS has never MLS pays anybody. It's the same pot of money that the Messi contracts correct. Out of. Uh, correct. Using this, the same money. Oh, see that I actually believe exists. But the idea that MLS is like uh, forking over money to get people to play poorly. Wait, this is uh, this is MLS it's all connected to the Kamal Miller trade. Everything in MLS <laughs> is connected to the Kamal Miller trade. You just have to go peel layer after layer off the onion, which would be great because I can tell you, everyone in Major League Soccer that doesn't work in Montreal doesn't understand the Kamal Miller trade. Can I just? Sidebar here for a second. Obviously, Lionel Messi is the most famous soccer player in the world. This is one of those moments where when he gets connected to MLS, everyone decides to pay attention for a half second and learns that the league is built on single entity. Wait, what's your question? It's not a question. It's like... (laughs) (laughs) It's, It's a statement. Everyone in the world is like, did you hear that MLS is going to pay as a league Messi's contract right Mm -hmm. MLS as a league pays every single player's contract in major league soccer it is a single entity owned league it's one of those moments where he's so famous that everyone decides they're going to pay attention and then has to figure out how MLS works yes I just that's correct there will be a a number of think pieces and articles about that very topic yes yeah that's that would be a good VSP that would be a great one there you go do you think they'll care that much? Won't it just be like, ah, he plays for Miami, who cares? Like, I have no idea Everyone's how Saudi talking. Arabia is paying Ronaldo. No, but everyone's talking about it right now. Everyone is like, did you hear this plan that MLS is coming up with? I've seen it, like, all across the board in, like, foreign platforms, not in the U.S. <laughs> the league that gave a franchise to a player. Yeah, yeah shocking exactly. that they've got mecha- <laughs> like, like mechanisms in place to make things happen. That's, I mean, yeah, I think... There will be more more light shed on MLS, and then that's how they become the best league in the world. We all know what's going to happen. Speaking of St. Louis, uh, I have Bradley Carnell, asterisk, will be coach of the year. Double asterisk. Good pick. Uh, Yeah. Uh, The first asterisk is because I had it as Pat Noonan uh, right up until uh, we started talking, and I asked you all, which one do you think is more likely to win? And you said Bradley Carnell. Well played, Taylor. Great work. Um, and the second asterisk is unless uh, LAFC win the title again slash uh, win uh, CONCACAF Champions League, in which it's probably Steve Torundolo. Mm. But I think Torundolo has th- – it's an easy sort of uh, like thing, crutch to, to beat him with. I don't know if you're supposed to beat people with a crutch. You're but not. It's basically they have so much money, so much talent. It's L.A., all of those reasons why I think he doesn't get some of the credit that other coaches might, whereas with Bradley Carnell – Obviously, it's an expansion franchise. Like I made fun of the way they built this roster. It didn't make any sense to me. It felt like it was going to be a disaster, and it has not been. You all are in a better position to 
refute this, but I also don't think that they're unlikable. And I think sometimes expansion franchises, either the owner, the coach, the approach, the players they bring in, people cannot like them or not like what they're doing. I think with with uh, St. Louis City, uh, blah, 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 like I think that's an annoying thing. But short of that, uh, I don't feel like there is like necessarily a, an unlikable player as much as there is just people are jealous of the way they've started. But I don't think that's the thing that necessarily will, will cost them in that conversation. So I think in the end, you get a team that outside of Kansas City is at the least enjoyed or people will watch them because of what they're doing and how they play. And I think Bradley Carnell will get a lot of credit for that. So too will Lutz Fennenstiel and him being a likable personality, I think also makes a big difference in in the perception of that team. Agreed. Yeah. I don't, I don't know many folks like generally speaking around the league that are irritated about St. Louis. I think they are pretty likable, like you said. And I, I, at this point, Carnell is absolutely the early favorite for coach of the year. I do think there's probably some GMs that are waiting for them to have a, a, a bad run of form to maybe leak some things and talk about how, like, you do have to do things a certain way in this league because uh, otherwise it doesn't make them look too good. But until that happens, I, I think uh, uh, St. Louis going to have some success. Joe, I like your prediction as well. Uh, and, yeah, I feel confident in Bradley Carnell unless Steve Gerondolo and LAFC win a bunch of stuff, in which case congratulations <laughs> to Steve Gerondolo. Well played. Well played, Taylor. David Goss, your final prediction. You you seem like you are running out of steam with these predictions. Maybe it's because we've been going uh, over an hour and a half at this point with the recording session. Uh, you can do the math on the edit there. Uh, but um, I'm wondering what your final prediction might be. It is very on brand for me, a.k.a. no one else will care. But Inter-Miami's attack is horrendous. I don't know when Messi arrives or if he does. Um, I think they are going to approach the just trying to figure stuff out portion of the season very quickly. So I have that Benjamin Kramaski will have over five goal slash assist contributions this season. Thank you for saying his name out loud. I've never said it out loud. Had no idea how to say it. Was going to wait until I heard it. This is the first time I've ever heard it. That alone made uh, made this a worthwhile exercise for me. Thank Benny you, Benny K. Come on, man. You're not. You're not it's up a C. on all it's the a latest. C. It's a C. C. Taylor. That's is the danger. This Benny is why I didn't C. want to you're say it out loud. The this is why. I know who he is. I know he's a young uh, Argentine U.S. international. Like I know. I know this kid's deal. But I like that. I, I looked up this stat the other day, guys. Like Miami's attack. You mentioned it being bad. It's it's really bad. Like, like bad doesn't actually fully describe it. So I, I am pulling up the stat now. Here we go. According to FB ref, Miami don't have a player in the top 50 players in MLS for shot or goal creating actions per 90 this year. They don't have a single player. It's not Pizarro. It's not John. It's not Martinez. It's not Campana who's been injured. Like it's not Stefanelli who I, I read a quote somewhere that they were super excited about him. He's not looked good, but he's young. And so we got to give him time. But like, the attack is just not there. They so desperately need a chance creator. It's unfortunate for Miami in some ways that they're in this whole messy situation. The positives way outweigh the negatives, but like they're going to wait. They're not going to sign a yeah. chance creator now. Like they're hundred percent going to wait to see if it's messy. And if it's not, then they've wasted almost all of this season with a bad roster, like without a chance creator. And that's really the piece that they need to elevate them into like a, a, at least a competitive team. And it's just not there. It's it could be very rough this year for Miami. And I think they just won the trade they made. Kamal Miller for is sure. a starter. For sure. But they gave away Bryce Duke and Ara Lasseter. So in terms of my VSP, those are two players who would be in front of Kramaski in the attack who are no longer there. If you have never seen him play, um, I always compare him to Thomas Mueller. 
he just like finds space and the right touches in the attacking third and knows where to be and can finish in any way, but is not a number nine. He's like a second forward slash 10 slash wide player. Uh, he was an MLS next all-star and then he joined the inter Miami Academy. And as Joe mentioned, he's Argentine American. Um, hence the bizarre last name, which I assume is partially like German or Eastern European that went to Argentina and then got two more accents laid on to it. And he's been called up for Argentina's youth national team this year and U.S. So there's that shows you sort of the opinion of people in the soccer world about him. And I think Miami will be in a space where it's like, what the hell? What else are we doing? Rolling Joseph Martinez, you know, corpse out here time and again and trying to play two center forwards and bang it off them. So I think he's got a chance and five goals, five assists combined might be too low, but I went for it. So five goals, five assists. Combined goal contributions, not 10 goals. 2.5 of each. 2.5 of each. Yes, exactly. Five goals and then also five assists. Got it. Perfect. Cool. Glad that we got that very specific one down. David Goss, uh, glad we got 15 good predictions down, I would say, as well as some uh, weekend chat in there, too. Uh, Gentlemen, I enjoyed these. Hopefully the listeners did as well. I look forward to the GM's. Not laminating these because I don't know how you laminate audio, but I'm sure they'll find a way. Uh, I doubt anybody is going to be too upset about any of these. We shall see. But for now, uh, Joe Lowry, thank you so much for taking all the time to evaluate my specific predictions, make some of your own, and provide plenty of analysis along the way. Right back at you, Taylor. This was fun. David Goss, my inclination is to burn you, but instead I will just say I very much enjoyed yours, and very specific predictions are not easy because you have to find the balance of being very specific but also being able to explain it and then also make it interesting. And I think you found that balance quite well and it is not an easy task. So well done to you, my friend. And I look forward to the end of the year where I will do what I always do, which is like Paul Ariola will win golden boot. And I'll be like, see my logic was correct. I just picked the wrong person. So I look forward to that moment. Uh, The key thing is to just mention a bunch of names when you're doing the prediction (laughs) and then sort of trick yourself and the audience into thinking that you actually said Paul Ariola and hope that no one pays attention. Although, Joe, as you said earlier, way earlier on, now that the Discord pays attention, (laughs) it gets a little bit harder to trick your way around those things. Listeners, thank you uh, to the, I'm assuming, tens of you who have listened all the way through to the end of this episode. We very, very much appreciate it. I enjoyed this. I always enjoy specific predictions. I hope you did, too. We'll talk to you again very soon. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 
See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.